Hi, this is Freddie from Weebly Blogs. Just a warning: this podcast contains language of a transphobic and homophobic nature. When a transsexual won the popular international Eurovision Song Contest, she won accolades from adoring fans, but harsh criticism from those who say she's deviant. Do you ever think you'd live to see the day when a transsexual would win the Eurovision Song Contest? Well, she did. Gala International is different. Well, that diva is a person which likes to disguise. It's all a disguise, you know, I'm a very modest person in my real life. I'm not a diva when I wake up in the morning that I wear and I put on myself and I made myself to be when I needed it. It's been 25 years since Dana International won the Eurovision Song Contest. She was the first transgender winner. Her victory marked a major milestone in the history of the competition, not just for proud Israelis, but also for the global LGBTQ community. This episode looks at Dana's triumph at the contest, as well as the personal and political struggles she faced. From Orthodox Backlash. And the Orthodox religious are aghast that she represented the state of the Jews to people simply questioning her existence. Are you 100% female? This is the story of what really happened at Eurovision. Hey, it's a William Colling from Weebie Blogs coming to you from the arena at this year's contest in Liverpool. Behind me are a set of doors, and behind those doors, the first dress rehearsal for the grand final is just beginning. Yeah, the city is hosting the event 25 years after Dana took home that glass microphone back in 1998 in Birmingham, also here in the UK. Israel have won it. Israel have won it by seven points over the United Kingdom. It's the day before the grand final, and we've been here for two weeks already. And let me tell you, it is undeniable that queer culture and Eurovision are inextricably linked, from drag queens performing on the streets to voguing performers on the Eurovision stage. Basically, there are gays everywhere, but they weren't always welcome. Yeah, when Dana came to the contest, religious leaders at home called her an abomination and an embarrassment. It doesn't bring to me a honor to feel that I am citizen of Israel. But at Eurovision 1998, Dana International proved to be a bellwether of changing attitudes. Yeah, and a major change for the first time in its 42-year history, almost every country awarded her their points using a televote-only system. Now they've done their bit, it's over to you, the viewers, to decide the winner. Don't dial yet, grab a pen and a piece of paper and get ready to write down the phone number for your favourite song. Remember, you'll not be able to vote for your own country. That meant for the first time in the contest, Europe's taste was not measured by a panel of industry professionals, but people sitting in their homes. But what does Dana make of it all? Hello. Ah, ah, hello, is that Dana? Hi, how are you? Why did you enter Israel's contest? Well, because I wanted to become very famous. I wanted to do say, something with my life. I wanted to become something else. I wanted to upgrade myself. So that's why I did it. I came from a very modest house and I dreamt of big things. I was, I used to see Rita Hayworth, um, uh, Betty Davis and all the stars from the, from the States. And I always felt attracted to them, to the fancy life, to the, the big women, big fancy women, 
big glamour women. <laughs> and the song Diva, do you remember the first time you heard it? Yeah, but the first time I heard it, I didn't like it so much because it came not so well uh, product. It wasn't with a good production. And after we gave it a new outfit, the song became what it became. And I fell in, and I fell in love with it. It's strong women from the past, strong women that I believe I should be known to all strong people, strong women that we should take an example of. Going into Israel's competition, did you think you would win? I never thought about it. I just thought to myself, well, whatever will be, will be. I thought it's going to be hard for me, you know, for a girl like me to be chosen. But, you know, there was a surprise and people chose me. Was the reaction of the nation always the same or was it mixed? It was mixed. Some of them were, were shocked by the, by the fact that I was chosen. And some of them were glad about it and happy about it and uh, very uh, encouraging. But some of, them, some of the Orthodox were against me. It's naturally, you know. So basically, Israel was and still quite a conservative place. This is Itai Stern, an Israeli journalist who covered the contest for Haaretz newspaper. He told us Dana rose to fame at a time where queer representation in Israel didn't really exist. So there was a gay community in Tel Aviv and in Israel, but it was very quiet and under, under the radar. So there were like gay places to go to, but it was kind of secret and... And nobody actually talked about gay rights. And obviously there was no representations of LGBTs in the media, almost nothing. I mean, and Dana International was, I think that our first interviews in the media, in the Israeli media was around 1995. When Dana won Israel's national selection, it made her a target for the country's orthodox religious leaders and conservative politicians. Here's a flavor of what she faced. Ashamed that Israel sent this deviant to represent Israel in the Eurovision. I guess for you as a person, you know, not as the diva, the performer, was that sometimes difficult to deal with? Yes, because I like people to like me and I don't like fights and I don't like arguments. And uh, to be in the middle of an argument, it was uh, very difficult for me. The criticism, did it go all the way to like high level people or was it mostly... Politicians, politicians. I just said that I am doing what I have to, what I was chosen to do and there is, that no one can prevent me from doing it. So I was happy about it, that it was a fact, and no one could undermine it. But they still tried to undermine it. During sessions of the Israeli parliament, some lawmakers even discussed trying to unseat the government over it. Shlomo bin Izri, a deputy minister and member of the religious Shas party, called her an abomination. While another MP, Rabbi Shlomo ben Ivri, compared her gender-affirming surgery to an act of sodomy. But many in Israel's queer community were ecstatic. Everybody knew Dana, I mean, even if they didn't know her in real life. So it was a huge thing for the community, but for the rest of the Israelis, it was kind of a shocking moment, you know, because nobody saw a transgender figure in such scale, you know, in TV, you know, even even as a singer. But I think that it's not only in Israel, I think that back then, 
also, I mean, even in Europe. So it was kind of revolutionary. And in May of 1998, Dana led that revolution to the contest in Birmingham, England. Dana International is the understated singer. Let it go. Well, I remember I was shocked. I remember I was amazed by the stage, by so many singers and artists. I remember the three minutes going on the stage, feeling very nervous and anxious. It was the best time of my life. And when you're standing on that stage, you know, you're representing Israel, obviously, but you're also the first truly out and proud trans woman at Eurovision. Did you feel extra pressure to represent that community? Yes, I was given a lot of compliments and encouragement from the gay community. So I felt like it was the second nation I'm representing. It was high applause. I felt like any other artist. Mm. Nothing was the uh, difference for me. No, no one gave me a, a, a feeling that, that I was unwanted or different or something uh, not out of the ordinary. We asked her as the points rolled in if she was already tasting victory. That was too much to think about. I wasn't thinking about winning. I was just thinking about not to, not to shame my country not to end up at the last place, at the last place and uh, to do whatever I can do to be among the you know, top five, top ten. As with every edition, the winner gets the chance to reprise their entry. Living up to the title Diva, Dana went to change into a lavish feather costume. I was given an outfit by Jean-Paul Gaultier, which wasn't suitable for the main performance. Just a little hiatus here, ladies and gentlemen. We can't find them. Just a moment's hiatus. Obviously, the winners are celebrated not wisely, but too well. Host Terry Wogan and Ulrika Johnson had to stall for time as Dana kept Europe waiting. And after I won, I said to myself that I have to change and to give Jean-Paul Gaultier the respect and to wear his outfit, and it took some time. One of those people waiting was Katrina Laskanich, the reigning Eurovision winner from the UK. Even Dana's delay was unconventional. Katrina says she knew change was coming. There was a moment in Birmingham on the stage when we were waiting for Donna to come out and reprise the song. Terry Wogan and I were standing there, and I just I recall having this thought that Donna International's win would be a massive sea change for the Eurovision Song Contest. And I felt as if from that moment on, the contest would be transformed into something else, possibly something more fun, more inclusive, more progressive. But in order for that change to happen, Dana would first have to walk through the fire. All Eurovision winners become a big name, at least for a short time, and they face journalists and fans from all over the world. But the nature of the questions that Dana received really suggested that the world didn't understand her or her journey. 
a lot of people wonder why you went through that operation, such a major operation. What made you do it? Uh, did you always think you were a woman? Do you think being a transsexual helped you to win the Eurovision contest? Can we expect such controversy from future winners? When she won, you know, we are a huge uh, Eurovision fans, the Israelis. So uh, it was uh, an amazing celebration for the most of people in Israel. You know, for the conservative people, it was kind of a shocking moment because they didn't know what to do. And one of the things that happened or not happened that the prime minister Netanyahu, which is still our prime minister, he didn't bless her uh, when she came back. He didn't bless her as he did, for example, when Neta one in 2018 when she came back when Netta came back he was waiting for her and celebrating her winning but not with Dana so when I was interviewing Dana she mentioned it that uh, she she was waiting for this call for a very long time and she never got it this is Dana speaking on Irish TV shortly after her win uh, did, did Netanyahu come to greet you at the airport? <laughs> no. no. No, Netanyahu was <laughs> meeting uh, Arafat in uh, New York City. You know, they talk and talk and talk and they do nothing. When Dana won, he didn't want to piss off the ultra-Orthodox that, was, that were uh, was his partners in the coalition. So I think that that was the main reason. Nowadays, he's doing the ugliest thing and he uses the LGBT rights, LGBT success in Israel uh, that we got mostly from the court, from the Supreme Court. And he tries to say that it was his, in, in his involvement which is not true. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu came to power in 1995 and he's dominated Israeli politics ever since. The support of Israel's powerful orthodox politicians has always been a cool part of governing for Netanyahu. Yeah, the ultra-orthodox religious Shas party has been described as a kingmaker, having given its support to coalition governments on both sides since it was set up in 1984. We were told here there were reports that the very, very orthodox Jewish people yeah. are against you, but I presume they're a minority and it's... A they are a minority, but yes. they are a very powerful minority because they're in the coalition and they have lots of money and power. Yes, but the rest of Israel, they were, gave you a huge welcome. Did yeah, they, not? Yes. they are very nice, they love me. And I was sent to represent the Israeli state, not the Jewish state or something like that. Yes, and there were cheering in the streets, were yeah. they, and banners and flags it and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Were there any people who, before Eurovision, weren't kind and then later apologized? No, people don't like to apologize. They, okay. they just jumped on the train, you know? Oh. They forgot what they said and jumped on the train. <laughs> toot toot on the Dana Express, honey. After her win, this was her homecoming she received from the crowds waiting at the airport in Tel Aviv. Thank you, thank you very much, Dana International, um, for winning the Eurovision contest for Israel and also for the whole gay community uh, in the world and in Europe uh, especially. Thank you very much, all of you. Thank you. Woo! Woo! Viva, viva! Viva! Now, what she might not have been aware of as she touched down at home was that the wheels of change were already in motion for LGBT people in Israel. Here's a tie stern. Two weeks after Dana won the Eurovision, there, were, there was the first 
Tel Aviv Pride, the first Pride of Israel, actually. It was called the Wigstock. They didn't even call it a Pride, and it was an extension of her winning in the Eurovision. And it was very, very dramatic because uh, the cops, they were super homophobic and they uh, wanted to evacuate the people from the Pride and they used gloves because they didn't know anything about HIV, gays, uh, gay rights, LGBT rights. They didn't know anything. So she changed a lot and she was very verbal and about LGBT rights uh, even before. But uh, afterwards, it, she became very, very vocal about it. But like Dana frequently says, she's modest. She thinks that this progress was the natural course of things. I think it changed because of time, you know. Time changes the government. And uh, from year to year, our gay parades will, is, are very big. And uh, I think it, it is just time that uh, opened people's minds. She affected a lot. She, she improved a lot, not only because of the representation, but because people in the LGBT community started to understand that they don't have to afraid of anyone or anything. And they can break the closet, not just getting out of the closet, but break it. And it was very dramatic in many senses, but... You could see that after a few years, uh, more and more artists started to come out and, you know, TV hosts. And today we are in a totally different place where uh, so many celebrities are very open about their uh, gender and sexuality. Over the years since Dana's win, queer Israelis have won the right to adopt children, to have their foreign civil unions recognised and are generally more visible in society, something Itai Stern thinks Netanyahu has capitalised on. He uses the pinkwash as many other dirty uh, political figures, but I think that uh, he also understands that uh, LGBT rights is a nice flag to to use, but he never did something meaningful for the LGBT community. I think that he's still a very uh, hypocrite about this topic. And I think that Dana is just one phase where we can see his attitude towards the LGBT community. Pinkwashing is a label frequently pinned on the Israeli government. Some critics say the country's progressive attitudes to LGBT issues are an exercise in branding to deflect from accusations of human rights abuses against Palestinians. LGBT rights have become, you know, the poster boy uh, for Israeli democracies. This is Ayel Gross, a professor of law at Tel Aviv University. And we can see, for example, that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, many times in his speeches in the UN, he would say, uh, in Israel we have a uh, pride parade, in Iran they hang gays, or in Gaza they persecute gays. So it's also hard kind of to, to draw the line between us and them. So to say to the Western world, you should like Israel because we share values on LGBT rights. But Dana is less cynical about this progress on queer rights. It's changed dramatically. Now we are free. We have many rights. We are one of the most uh, acceptable countries in the world for considering the gay community. And we have no problem here in Israel. 
Pro-government publications in Israel reject the idea of pinkwashing. Honestreporting.com says it evokes historical anti-Semitic tropes, specifically that anything Jews do that is good or beneficial must be part of some nefarious ulterior motive. Now, despite the power of the ultra-Orthodox politicians, Dana only spoke of those who celebrated her. I was invited to the Knesset, to the Israeli parliament, to receive a prize, and I was uh, given the key of Tel Aviv from the mayor of Tel Aviv. After the winning, a lot of people wanted my attention, my presence. Do you keep the key? Do you still have it? Yes, of course, of (laughs) course, of course. Professor Eil Gross says Dana doesn't want to perpetuate a negative image of Israel abroad. Dana yeah. had said in interviews in Israel that she speaks quite differently outside Israel and inside Israel. She wants to use the image of two. So there was two very famous women politicians, and both of them dead. Shulamit Aloni, who was a champion of civil rights from the left and stuff, and Geula Cohen, who was this very right-wing, uh, hawkish person. And she said, when I speak in Israel, I'm Shulamit Aloni. When I'm speaking internationally, outside, I'm, I'm uh, Geula Cohen. Like, I'm kind of defending Israel. She, like, I would go to, like, you know, if there was a show with her just before the election with a few different artists, so she's saying, remember to go to vote, and it's clear that she means for the left, right? But even when she spoke after her winning the Eurovision, she said, uh, you know, I represent, I don't represent only the Jewish state, I represent, we have Muslim citizens, Christian citizens, I represent everyone. Ayol says that the government harnessed Dana's win to promote the nation. Quite a few years after she won the Eurovision, Israel's ambassador to the U.S. brought her example kind of as part of the pinkwashing to show how liberal we are the LGBT rights, you have to distinguish between the fact that people are fighting for the rights and the fact between the fact that the government is appropriating it. Dana was the latest Eurovision singer helping to shape Israel's image. That's not unusual. Most countries in the contest see it as a marketing tool or at least a way of presenting themselves as equal to other nations. The UK this year is hosting on behalf of Ukraine, but still inserts its own tourist destinations inside the little postcard clips that play before the acts. In the year talks about Turkey joining the European Union started to ramp up, the country hosted using the slogan, Under the Same Sky. Its president, Recep Erdogan, also attended. But Dana's story of moving from the margins to center stage had even greater power since it came at a time of shifting attitudes towards queer people. I felt more, I fell in love with myself. I was proud of myself and I liked myself much, much more before the winning. And uh, it gave me a lot of uh, aspects to look at myself and to like myself and to honor myself. Her advice to others? Not to think about anyone else, just about themselves and to be who you want to be without any consideration what other people might say or might do. Just be yourself. But Eurovision continues to help Israel project a positive image of itself. I think it's the best PR to Israel. Yes, through the music that connecting people, connecting nations and cultures, and through this beautiful and colorful festival of music, we can break barriers and we can change stereotypes, how people think about Israel. And I think we really made a change in in people's mind. Tali Eshkali was an executive producer for Eurovision in Tel Aviv in 2019. She's championed Israel in the contest for a long time. I really fought hard uh, in order to keep Israel in the Eurovision Song Contest. And I'm happy that all the efforts were fruitful. 
Uh, I think that it's a statement. It's important that Israel will be a part of the contest with this amazing platform uh, to be connected to other countries, to Europe, to the world, uh, to be a part of uh, this small global village with other nations. Now, we should point out that other Middle Eastern countries are allowed to join the Eurovision Song Contest, but choose not to because of Israel's presence. Were Israel to withdraw, it's thought Middle Eastern and Arab nations like Lebanon, Morocco, and Egypt would be more willing to participate. A quarter of a century from Dana's win, people here at Eurovision are still talking about her. We spoke with Conchita Verst about Dana just a few hours ago. I feel like, um, you know, obviously I heard about Dana back then and it, it, it resonated, of course, because we as queer people share similar experiences and, and you connect through that, so obviously she, she paved the way. I think those shared experiences between queer people are still on full display at the contest. There's a real sense of connection from generation to generation, artist to artist. The fact is, even if society progresses, the shame, the sort of residue of the way gay people are treated growing up, it sticks with people no matter how successful they are. Yeah, Belgium's Gustav on qualifying was asked about representation at the semi-final two press conference. Speaking very candidly, here's what he had to say. I was a little bit, honestly, I'm going to be very honest, a little bit scared when we were waiting for the results because I was still a little boy inside and was like, they will not accept this. Still this I think every queer person has this little boy inside of girl or whatever it can be inside of them. It just uh, felt like a really touching thing because it really felt like a queer message that was about positivity, inclusivity, and about just joy was embraced by Europe. Dana, I just want to ask you a final question. Looking back at your very successful career, what do you want people to remember about you? Just to remember that I was very, I had the courage to go and represent Israel and standing against all obstacles and do it and uh, it was a very tense competition you know there were very close competition between me and the uk and um, and malta i would love people to remember that i was the first one to do it and we'll be publishing dana's full unedited conversation with william shortly after this podcast Yeah, she talks about her return to Eurovision with the song Ding Dong, her new documentary series, and why she's banned from Egypt. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye!